0: I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this month of episodes is brought to us by BetterHelp, which is the world's largest counseling service done 100% online. It's no secret that I'm a huge fan of therapy. If you've been listening to the podcast for very long, you've heard me talk often about how therapy has completely changed my life. And I love that with BetterHelp, you can get mental health support on your own time, at your own pace, right from the comfort of your home. You can send your counselor a text or chat message anytime. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. You may remember BetterHelp from when they sponsored the podcast back in April, and I have heard from lots of 3 in 30 listeners who have given it a try these past few months and have loved their experience. The world is in the middle of a tumultuous time, and you are not alone if you are needing mental health support. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp in the past few months that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist who specializes in whatever it is that you're going through right now, stress, depression, anxiety, sleep issues, self-esteem issues, anger, grief, struggles in your relationships, trauma, LGBTQ plus issues, and more. I want you to start living a happier life, and I believe it's possible, even in the midst of so much uncertainty in our world right now. Join over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health by giving BetterHelp a try. Go to betterhelp.com slash 3 30 and get started today. And as a listener, you'll also get 10% off your first month. So again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 30 And now onto the show. This is episode 137, How and Why to Set Loving Limits for Our Kids. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, friends. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Katie Penry. As I mentioned last week, Dr. Penry recently released her first book, The Parenting Toddler's Workbook, and as I read through it, the portions that jumped out to me the most were about how to set loving limits with our young children, and I really feel that those principles can be applicable to children as they age as well. Obviously, the particulars of situations where limits are needed will change and get more nuanced as children get older, but the necessity of parents having loving limits and the ability to hold to those limits does not change. In fact, it might get even more important. So I hope these episodes will be helpful to you regardless of the ages of your children. As a refresher, last week, Katie and I discussed why it's actually extremely loving to set limits for our children, both for them and for ourselves. She went on to explain that the key to being able to hold to our limits is to do a bit of internal work to define what we even want our limits to be and why. She advised us to consider three things when deciding on our expectations for our kids. First, what are our unique family values that we believe protect our kids' physical and emotional health and teach them to be in relationship with others? Second, what loving limits help to protect our physical and emotional health as parents? our needs can and should be taken into consideration too. And third, what are our hopes for our children as they grow into adults and how could thoughtful limits support those hopes? This past week, I hope you let those three questions sort of simmer and started to notice situations within your home life where a loving limit could really protect your values, your personal needs, and your hopes for your children. I thought it might be helpful for you to hear some examples of this from the 3 and 30 community before we jump into part two of the episode. So here's a few. One mom told me that after listening to the episode, she realized how triggered she feels by her two-year-old climbing onto her lap during dinner when she's trying to eat her food. She's always thought she just needed to get over it because good moms just allow this, right? But she realized that it's actually okay to have a boundary around this. She lovingly told her two-year-old, I need to be able to eat my dinner too, and it's very hard when you're sitting on my lap. I don't like anyone sitting on my lap while I'm trying to eat. So from now on, you're going to have to stay in your own chair. I have to say that one thing that struck me about that example is how wonderful it is that this mom is modeling for her daughter that it's okay to have limits. It's okay to say, I deserve my own space sometimes, and I don't want to be touched that way. It's not unkind to to say that to her young daughter. It's actually empowering her daughter to have boundaries with her personal space and needs as she's growing up. Another mom told me that she slept in her daughter's bed for over five years and she's desperate to change that, but she hasn't known how. She says she sleeps terribly because her daughter is a restless sleeper and she honestly feels like she hasn't had a good night of sleep in five years. This is, of course, affecting her mental health and her ability to be a patient mom during the day. She knows that her daughter is going to protest mightily when she sets a new limit around sleeping in their own beds, but when she's tempted to just give in, she's going to go back to her values and her needs, like Katie taught in the last episode. She and her daughter both deserve better sleep. They need it to thrive and be healthy and be at their best for each other. So as hard as it's going to be for a little while to hold to that limit, she knows she wants to do it and that it's actually the loving choice for both of them. I think this is also a great example of how different families can have different values and therefore different limits. For some families, co-sleeping may be a great arrangement that they feel is enhancing their connection, but it's no longer working for this mama and it's okay for her to make a change in their home to reflect her needs and values. Those are just a few small examples, but hopefully, they get you thinking about situations within your home where you might feel mean enforcing a limit, but you're actually being loving. And in today's episode, we'll be diving deeper into how to hold to your limits once you've decided what you want them to be. We're going to jump right into that because I actually just chopped my conversation with Katie in half at a logical stopping point, and now I'm so happy to be airing the second portion. I hope it's helpful to you, and as always, I love hearing how you're applying what you're learning in the episodes, and Dr. Penry and I are actually hosting a free Zoom call this week to celebrate the launch of her book and give you the opportunity to ask her your questions about toddler parenting and discuss the episode further. So if you're interested in hearing more from her, be sure to stay on to the end of this episode when I'll give all of the details about that free Zoom call. Okay, friends, let's do this. There's going to be no lead in whatsoever. (laughs) Dr. Henry is just going to be starting with her first takeaway about how to set loving limits for our kids. Here we go.
1: You got to get out your pen and paper for this one because it's a template. You got to know the template for introducing and supporting limits. All right. Okay. Everybody likes to be able to have a kind of script or to have yeah. like a oh, few yeah. action steps that they can take whenever they're first getting started. And you know, this, so here are your training wheels. Number one, state the boundary and the limit clearly. Okay. You cannot hit me. Tell them what they can do. You can touch me like this or you can sit on the floor. Okay. Help them if needed by acting with compassion. If they can't stop hitting you, then it's time for you to act with compassion. So hold on to their arms. It's not okay for you to hit mama. I'm going to have to hold you like this until you can hold yourself or put them on the floor. I have to put you down if you're going to hit me because I just can't let you hit me. And then acknowledge their feelings. So if the tantrum starts, but I don't want you to put me down. I, I couldn't, help, I was just hitting you. Um, help them deal with that. Oh, this is so hard. I know that you want to be held and I know that you want to hit me. Those two things just don't coexist in this universe. <laughs> don't use those big words, but you know what I'm like, you're trying to help your kid understand that. So have compassion, acknowledge their feelings, get down there and help them deal with your limits. right. So that's the template. That's the best template I can give.
0: Yeah. Tell us the four parts of the template again.
1: All right. So state that boundary or the limit clearly, succinctly. Tell them what they can do instead. If they can't stop, then you help them by acting with compassion. And then you acknowledge their feelings. Mm. Pretty easy.
0: Yeah. And I love that. And in a lot of the examples you give in the book, it seems like you lead out a lot of the times with the positive. So you'll say, like, I can see that you have so much energy right now. Yes. I love that. We don't jump on furniture when we have energy. We can go jump outside. And if you need help, I'll walk you out there, you know? So you're always like leading with the positive. There's no shame in it. You're validating their emotion or their need, but you're also setting that limit.
1: So let's walk through an actually a relevant experience that you and I actually share. Yes. So, okay. Rachel comes to visit me. She has been driving for, I don't know how long with all of her kids in this rental van. They were camper van. Yeah. The camper <laughs> van. Okay. <laughs> two weeks.
0: We had been on the road I for mean, two weeks.
1: Yes. And they're coming to me at the end of those two weeks. righty. And they had been driving for hours that day to come to me. And so it's the evening. They're getting there around supper time. And I open up the door to greet Rachel. The kids blow in. Of course they blow in. And Sally immediately starts jumping on the ottoman. The, okay. <laughs> the beautiful white ottoman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which we and, should also add that this is the first time we've ever actually met in person. We've become very right. good friends online, but we would never met in person. First thing my kids do blow into your house and start jumping on your nice ottoman. So that was awesome.
1: The furniture. (laughs) And so I turned to her and I said, my goodness, you are so happy to be out of the car, but you just don't jump on the furniture in this house. This is something that we put books on, or this is something we prop our feet on when we're sitting on the sofa. You can go outside and you can run and get all that big energy out. Of course she stopped and was absolutely precious about it and didn't have a tantrum or anything. We didn't have to go further than that, but it was absolutely normal for her to have way too much energy wrapped up in that tiny little body. She had been in the van for forever. And so looking at her with compassion, understanding, trying to have empathy about her day and just explaining my limit without creating shame. Like she's not bad for jumping on the furniture. She was really doing what a human that age does whenever they have a lot of energy in their body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it is the compassionate thing to teach the child what is expected and to teach them how to behave versus not saying anything But being really annoyed and frustrated with the child and that's not respectful to the child to not even tell them what it is that you're annoyed or frustrated about. You know, And we talked about afterwards that I feel safer around people that will just tell me or will just tell my kids. I feel like it's an act of trust and I want my kids to have other adults in their life set limits for them. So they see that it's not just their mom that sets limits. It's other people too. So I felt like that was an act of friendship and trust that you would have a limit in your home for my child.
1: Yes. So another example about setting limits for another person's child, because for me, it means I value our friendship. Like I want you to just come down whenever and bring the kids. But that means I'm going to have to teach your kids what it's like to be in my house. Mm -hmm. Um, Frank had a play date, his first post COVID play date outside in the pool. And one of his sweet little friends just got obsessed with the Polaris, which is a machine that cleans the pool. Mm. And our machine that cleans the pool is the most expensive machine because my husband works a ton and I hate messing with the pool. So we just bit the bullet and got the best one. Okay. And it's cool. My kids call it the pool dozer. It's like this amazing <laughs> little robot that just rolls all over our pool. And anyway, so, so
0: of course, of course. he was obsessed with it.
1: Yes, <laughs> of course he was. And I explained, you know, so I had it pulled out of the pool and now he's soaking, soaking dripping wet and he goes over to it like, Oh, you know, it's the bright light. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped him and I said oh goodness let me show you how this works isn't this amazing so I'm recognizing his absolutely normal interest and okay so he did that but then he just could not let it go I mean he kept coming back to it i like, Oh, we don't touch it let's like, let's not because they were wanting to pull it back into the pool you know I was like oh let's not do that what can I help you with and eventually I ended up putting it away, like putting it away away. And now I'm having to do all this in front of this other mother. And I'm doing that because I want this child to come over to my house. I want Frank to be able to have this playdate again and again and again and again. You mm-hmm. know, I want to respect this child, understand that he's capable of hearing my limits with compassion and respect. And if he just can't, it's just too amazing. He can't stop looking at it. He can't stop messing with it. Then no big deal. I just have to help you by putting it away. Mm.
0: So, and I love that mindset of I'm, I can see you need my help. Like I can see that you need my help. So I'm going to enforce this limit because I love you because I care about you, you know? And I think when we come at our discipline quote from that angle, then it does feel so much more positive and shame-free of, I can see you need some help. I can see you need a frontal lobe right now. And I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to be that
1: frontal lobe for you. Yeah. That's how you get rid of that shame.
0: Great. Okay, so we know the template now, so we can plug in our own children's behaviors into that little template to figure out how to set those loving limits, and I feel like we did a pretty good job of leading into this next takeaway already, but what's your takeaway?
1: So the third part of my template is acting with compassion, but that's like a whole thing, and although we've already kind of led into it, the way that you act with compassion is really using consequences, essentially natural consequences and understanding that consequences aren't the same thing as punishments. They are not arbitrary, real life has consequences. And it's okay to introduce your very young child to consequences. Mm. I call them in the book, I call them consequence couplets. If you do this, then this happens. And it's kind of the way we live our life. If I throw an egg off the balcony, it will break. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a consequence couplet. And so whenever you're talking about it with your child, it's, if you keep hitting me in the face, I can't hold you. Mm. And if you pull the books off the shelf, then we're going to have to go to a different room or I'm going to have to put the books up, but either way, I've got to stop you until you can stop yourself, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But it starts with that consequence couplet. Yes. You know, if you're screaming and running in the house and playing chase in the house, you gotta do that behavior outside. Yeah. Know?
0: If you do this, then this will happen. And it's very right. it's very clear, which I yes. love. One of the sentences in your book that I underlined is that gentleness doesn't mean ambiguity or flexibility. In fact, and I wrote off to the side there, if you're being truly loving and gentle and kind, you will not be ambiguous or yes. flexible. Yes. The kind thing is to be clear and <laughs> consistent. Know? Yes. Yes. Clear and consistent is kind, ambiguous and flexible is not. And I think that's what I run into with my children sometimes is like, I care so much about their feelings that I'm kind of ambiguous and how confusing for them. I'm like, well, I don't think you can do that, but maybe it's okay. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what the heck? Versus just saying, if you do this, then this will happen. If you Mm -hmm. cannot stop screaming in the car with your cousins while grandpa's driving and trying to focus, then I will come and I will sit in the back between you. You yes. know, that, that's yes. an example from that, a recent I road help trip. Oh,
1: you don't like it here? It's just, this is physics. I mean, I do treat <laughs> consequence couplets like that. Like almost like it's physics, man. I don't view myself as the enforcer. I view myself as the person that helps them cope with this consequence. You know, mm. it's like, <laughs> I can't help. I know I have to put you down every time you hit me. I hate it too. I remember that feeling of just wanting to be excited with my arms and then not being able to do everything that I wanted to do or whatever it is, you know, like having some compassion for this limit that you've set, you know, helping them cope with it. That's really how I view myself.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I do feel like being decisive is an important skill and trait as a parent. Yes. And maybe something that doesn't come supernaturally to certain temperaments, like mine. I am always open to hearing other people's opinions or side or whatever. Like that's that's key to my temperament, is that I like to hear the different options and the different sides and different viewpoints. But when it comes yeah. to parenting, that's not always the best thing because right. I listen to my son and his viewpoint, and then I'm like, okay, I can see that. All right. And I change my mind, which for an eight year old.
1: But now he's eight. <laughs> You know, and yeah. he's kind of learning some of those skills, and yeah. you're entering into a, a more dialogical relationship with him. So mm-hmm. that's very different than with a three year old.
0: Yes, for sure. You know? Yeah. But even with him, sometimes I think he really does need me to be more decisive. Yeah. I'm not going to go into too many particulars, but the friends who were on the trip with us when we came to meet you, they have a teenage son who had a struggle. And they were talking through it with you and you said to them, he can sense that you're not sure about your decision. Yes. And as long as he can sense that he is going to push against it and he's going to act out. You said, Mm -hmm. you need to tell him, this is the decision. We Mm -hmm. know you don't like it. Mm -hmm. We know best for you and you're not going to change our minds. (laughs) And they told me later that after that changed everything when they were decisive with him about the decision, mm-hmm. and they trusted mm-hmm. their instinct instead of sort of waffling on it. He needed to feel that from them in order to be okay with it himself, yeah, and I think children are the same; they need to feel the confident decisiveness of their parents a lot of the time
1: they do, yeah, the frame helps them really have some freedom, like yeah. we say, you know the limits actually create freedom it, it sounds counterintuitive, but it does, and whenever. They can expect the same consequences. That is really, that creates, it does, it just creates safety for children. It's very helpful. Yeah, It sounds counterintuitive to us, but it is very helpful.
0: Yeah. I feel like this with doctors. Sometimes I have doctors who will give me five options. And I'm yes. like, I'm like, no, just tell me, <laughs> like, I'm like, you are the expert. I don't, I need you to tell me what the best thing is right now. And I feel right. like our kids probably feel that way too. It's confusing when their parent is so flexible and giving them so many options. It's like, no, you're the expert. Tell me what to do. Cause I don't feel safe right now.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely. I've had that feeling, yeah. you know, with that family, one of the things that I also reminded them of is that. The compassion you show for your child after you make this decision is also a compassion that you can extend to yourself. If you have a fear about the decision that you've made, join with the child. We've made this decision. I'm scared too. This was a very hard decision to make. And this is going to be a hard thing for us. And I'm working through it. But the decision has been made. Like, definitely. One of the hardest things that we ever did was my in-laws have this beautiful home that is so much fun on the water, but my daughter would behave really poorly. Mm. And so we would have to say like, if you can't do this, this, and this while you're there, then we have to go. And we would go. Mm. That was hard. Like, and I'm talking like packing everything up. Getting back in the car and driving home. That was a decision her daddy and I made. Like, this is what the consequence has to be.
0: Yeah. And And it's hard for so many reasons. You wanted to stay. And I think so often that's like the hard thing with holding to a limit is we let our limit go because we're like, no, you're inconveniencing me. I want to stay at the beach house, you know, but you have to hold the limit. And also there was probably some disappointment from the grandparents when you would pack it all up and leave. So then you have to, you have to navigate that. So it's, it's hard all around, but my guess is that your daughter Quickly learned that quickly. we're serious about that limit. Yeah,
1: and the only reason we got to that consequence, so we worked through all the other consequences. Like, well, let's try this, and then let's try this, and they aren't consequences. Like, they aren't punishments. They're not arbitrary. It's not like she gets yelled at when this happens, or I take away all of her markers or something. Like her favorite uh, toy that doesn't have anything. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with the actual behavior. You mm. know, uh, we try and have the consequences draw close to a real life consequence of that behavior, we did everything. Mm. And then it was like, well, now we got to do this. And we decided ahead of time, Mm. like this is what the consequence is going to have to be. Yeah.
0: And I don't know if you did this, but it seems like you, in situations like that, you may need to bring grandparents into the loop ahead of time Yes, and say, just so you know, this behavior that we've seen has been so troublesome to us and probably to you too, you know, in your home when our kid is acting like that, that we've told our daughter, this will be the consequence and we're going to have to stick to it. And it's going to stink. And we're all going to be sad when we have to leave your house. But if it happens, we're going to leave your house. So you're kind of giving him a heads up.
1: Exactly. We did that because it made it easier for us to enforce, which is a great point. Implicit in there is that if you can't enforce the consequence, then don't start it. Mm. Don't say it. Uh, Never say it. it. (laughs) Don't say it like, if you, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen. It's good to warn the kid, kind of remind them of what the consequence will be. It's also great to tell them. I always try and start with when you stop hitting me, I'll pick you up. Like I try and be when you, then we will. Kind Not of. if
0: you, but when you. Then, like with-
1: when mm-hmm. Yeah. If you do this, then this will happen. I always try and start with when you do target behavior, then reward happens. Mm. Uh, Most of the times that works. That works with a lot of children, Yeah, but you know, on some occasions you really do need to tell them, like, don't just let the consequence blow up on them. I don't feel like that is kind either. Mm -hmm. I tell her, okay, now if you do X, Y, and Z here, then we will have to go.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I love that distinction you just made between you use if you with the consequence couplets and when you with the target mm-hmm. behaviors you mm-hmm. want. So you're mm-hmm. assuming, you're, you're letting them know, I know you can do this and you will do this positive behavior. Whereas the consequence couplets are more, it may not happen. You know, yeah. you, oh, you man, know? I would
1: love it. I would love yeah. it, you know, but just in case you can't resist that behavior, yes. we're going to have to get out of here.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, this has been so helpful and insightful, and there's so much more in this little gem of a book. This is just one aspect of it. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your book and how you kind of how you set it up before we sign off?
1: All right. So kind of like what we have done here, I am really keeping the parent in mind and helping you create a customized plan for your family. So like I start with the mindset shifts. I start with understanding. I start with knowledge that I believe is going to empower you to then be the best parent in your system to your children with your temperament. That's why it's a workbook. So I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about the book. If you like this episode, if you like any of my episodes, then you like my approach. And I think that the workbook is really going to be a good fit for you. It is decisive. Like I tell you, here's what science says is very good for the child. And here are some ways that you can kind of explore how you could express this in your family. It isn't as prescriptive. As some other parenting books, it really is trying to empower you in your system with your child.
0: Mm. Well, and what I love about it is that you have like you teach the principle and then you have basically like an application section after where you have questions to prompt them to think of specific scenarios, to apply what they just read, because I think so often we read this theory or we listen to a parenting podcast and we think, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to set better limits with my kids. Yeah. But we don't sit down and think, what does that actually look like in my daily life for my children? And I love Mm -hmm. that it's built right into your book, Opportunities for Parents to Process and Apply so that they can take action on it
1: with the consequence couplets, for instance, I have a whole section on that where I give you several scenarios and I have you imagine a natural consequence to that. That is not a punishment. So often parents just default to that punishment, lose the favorite toy. So I work with you to actually be intentional about the next time this happens. What's a natural consequence.
0: Yes. So much application in there. You are just brilliant. You are a wealth of information and I'm so glad you're my friend. So I get to benefit on a personal level too. And thank you so much for coming on three and 30.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Okay. Friends, so much to think about from that conversation. And here's a quick recap. Takeaway number one, know the template for introducing and supporting limits. And Katie said that's four parts, but then I think we added a fifth part as well during our discussion. So those parts are first, and this is the one that we added after the fact, acknowledge the feeling that is leading to the behavior. And remember what we talked about last week, the feeling is usually normal, even if the behavior isn't acceptable. For example, you are so excited to be here and have so much energy from being trapped in the car all day. Of course you are, but... And this leads to the second part of the template, which is state the limit clearly. In my house, we don't jump on furniture, even when we're really excited. Next step is to tell them what they can do. You're welcome to go outside and jump on my trampoline. Followed by the fourth step, help them if they need it. Here, let me take your hand and show you where the trampoline is. And finally, acknowledge their feelings if they are upset about the consequence. I know it's disappointing when we can't do what we want to do. I felt that too. So the five parts are first, acknowledge the feeling that's leading to the behavior. Second, state the limit clearly. Third, tell them what they can do. Fourth, help them follow the limit if they need it. And fifth, empathize with big emotions that may be felt as a result of the limit. That's the template, and it gets easier and easier to sort of plug it in when you're in interactions with your kids the more you use it. Maybe jot that down and put it on your refrigerator this week. Takeaway number two was use consequence couplets to make natural consequences matter of fact and compassionate. If you do this, then this will happen. And remember that consequences and punishments are different. Punishments are often punitive and seemingly unconnected to the problematic behavior While consequences should be as naturally and logically linked to the behavior as possible. And one thing I wanted to add here is that sometimes it can feel really stressful to try to think of a natural consequence on the spot when a misbehavior is happening. Just remember, it's okay to take some time to think about it. You can always have a conversation with your child later and explain what the consequence will be if that behavior happens in the future. Give yourself grace to not be able to plug every behavior into a formula all at once. And our final takeaway, be decisive with your children. Remember that clear and consistent is kind, while flexible and ambiguous is often confusing. Express your limits kindly and decisively and offer genuine and empathetic emotional support if your kids don't agree. Friends, I'm so glad you've joined us for this two-part series and I hope you know that I'm cheering you on as you work to set more loving limits in your home as I am doing in my home right now. If you enjoyed these episodes with Dr. Katie Penry, please check out the four other episodes she's done on the show and I'll link all of those in the show notes. And please join us this Thursday, July 9th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. For an online book launch party and live Q&A with me and Dr. Katie Penry. I'm so excited to celebrate her and to introduce her to all of you in a live format. So sign up for that at 3 and 30 podcastcom forward slash book launch. And bring your questions about parenting toddlers. And of course, I will put that in the show notes too. As always, I'm rooting for you. I hope you're finding beautiful moments with your children this summer. And I hope that you have a fantastic week with your family.
1: I'm Stacy Toth. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. And we'd like to invite you to come listen to our podcast, The Whole View. Each week, we follow the science for an in-depth answer to a listener-requested topic related to health and wellness. But we're not your typical health show. We're talking emotional and physical, looking at dozens of scientific studies to support our answers you might be surprised what the science can tell us. When we share practical tips and embarrassing personal stories, we make sure no one is left thinking perfection is the goal. In fact, this one time at Bandcamp... Not now, Stacy. Oh, right, sorry. I was about to get on a soapbox again.